So I hope you all had a very, very good holiday season. And we trust that the Lord is going to bless us here at the chapel in the coming year, 2023, that we will see souls saved. We will see people baptized. We will see uh, others coming into fellowship here at the chapel. And I don't think if we don't look to the Lord expectantly in asking, well, maybe we won't get. So we have to pray about these things. So tonight we're going to consider a few things in Second Peter. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 1. Now, Second Peter is very similar to First Peter. It's, it's like a sequel. It's a sequel to the first, uh, the first letter. Uh, Peter, in the first letter, was writ writing to warn the believers of the dispersion that they had outside enemies. Now, if you look back in history, the time of the dispersion was under the rule of an emperor called Nero. In fact, it's rumored that Nero was the emperor that was a result of putting Peter to death on the cross. But under the rule of Nero, there were literally miles and miles of Christians who were not only crucified, but were also burned at the crosses they were crucified on. And of course, many of the churches, the, the church in Jerusalem, uh, the believers scattered. They scattered to Asia Minor. And that's why they're called uh, the, the dispersion, because they, they just, they wanted to be away from this persecution. So the church was facing back then, and that was around AD 65 or so. So they fled. They fled to get away from Nero, this Roman army that was determined to bring these Christians into extinction. It was going to be a Christian genocide. But they escaped. So Peter was warned, had warned them, this is what they were, they were running. But when it comes to the second epistle, it's no longer the enemy that's outside their camp. He's talking about the enemies that are inside the camp. And uh, we're not going to look a lot at that tonight because uh, other brothers will take up the false teachers, etc., in coming nights. But false teachers within the church, within the assembly, is a very, very hard thing to weed out. And we're going to look at this first chapter and see if there's men in here and teaching in here that would help us to weed out these false teachers. And one of the reasons why it's very hard to weed them out is because sometimes they're called in scripture, they're called wolves in sheep's clothing. You know, there is nothing worse. You know, when I was in business, and forgive me for giving this little illustration, by the way. You know, I was in senior management for many years, and there is nothing like trying to defend your position with a company. Well, the company owned three or four companies, actually. Because your enemy is not outside your dealership. Your enemy's inside. My enemies, and I had, I, I can recall two in particular. In their insidious way, they get to the owner's ears and they start to breathe into them. 
And this is what false teachers do. They give you a smattering of scripture that looks really legitimate. And then all of a sudden, you're seeing something that's weird and something that's very strange. Now, do you think in this day and age that we have a fair share of false teachers in the, in the so-called church? We just have to turn on our televisions. We just have to listen to some of these tele-evangelists. And by gosh, I'll tell you, we shock you right to your shoes. If you are to accept what these men were teaching. And not only men, there also are women evangelists on TV. Uh, and of course, they are pretty well the same way. And I could name two or three of them. But we're not here to talk about that tonight. So let's start reading in verse 1 of First uh, Peter, uh, Second Peter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained the precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as the divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that though these, through these, you may have, may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence and to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, control, self-control, self-control to perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, the godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. For if those things are yours, and abound, you'll be either, uh, you'll be neither barren, uh, sorry about this, uh, you'll be neither barren, uh, trying to find my spot here. Basically what he's saying here is that you'll, you'll be neither barren uh, or uh, fruitless, and uh, this is what he's, he goes on to say in the, the remaining verses. Now, I made a few comments as I was reading through the, uh, the epistle. In this epistle, you're going to find that there, I saw at least four themes. The nature of godliness is there. The danger of false teaching the importance of gaining knowledge of Jesus Christ and the hope of Christ's second coming. Now, you think uh, of this last one, the hope of Christ's second coming, that'll be taken up at a later date. But isn't that such a relief to these believers? They have been persecuted. They have lost their businesses, their livelihood, their areas that they lived in for probably all their life. Many of us would say we were in a condition of hopelessness 
that Peter is reminding them. And remember, as Peter's writing this epistle, Peter's about to face his death. It's not too long after this epistle is written that, that Peter is crucified, is martyred. So those are the four main things that I saw in the epistle as I was reading through it. The letter, I'm going to kind of read this. The letter encourages Christians to live the purpose of their lives in Christ. So the question comes to us, what is our purpose of our lives in Christ? Now, that's, that's not a church question. That's a personal question. That's a question between you and I and God. What is the purpose of my life in Christ? Peter encourages Christians under the threat of violence and, and persecution. He warns the same believers of the dangers of false teachers and harmful consequences. The promises that God has bestowed on all of us, everything that is needed to sustain and grow this new life in Christ and protect us from damaging false teachers. The one thing is that we as believers cannot, under any circumstances, blame God and say, you haven't given me the tools, Lord. You haven't given me the things to do this. Wrong. Out of the abundance of his love and his heart for us, he has opened up the door of everything that he has given us everything. Now you think about it. When Peter is introducing this epistle, he talks about himself as Simon Peter, and our brother Keith took this up in a night gone by. Simon Peter, first of all, that's his, his given name when uh, before the Lord said to him, thou art Peter, the rock. And, but then he goes on to say, a bond servant, a bond servant. You know, every time I see that word in scripture, I always think of that slave in the Old Testament. The slave that loves his master so much. He says, master, I will not go out free. And what does the master do to his slave? Because bond servant just means a servant who is under bondage. And what does the master do for that slave? Because the master also loves him. He takes him according to the law, puts his ear up to the doorpost, and takes an awl and bores the ear. When Christ saved us, we were literally like that bond servant. But instead of an all, we will receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who will lead, guide, and direct every movement of our lives. There is only one problem. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I think that all of us kind of, sure, kind of shake a little bit when we hear the word submission, eh? don't we? Submission. That is so against human nature. But the Holy Spirit can only work within us if we submit to him. I've often said that when we get saved, we uh, went out of our uh, normal 
human life into the university of God. And some people will say, what do you mean? Well, we are, so to speak, in the school of God. God, through the Holy Spirit, the professor, he is our teacher. But it is not, it's a one-in-one -one every day. It's, it's opening up your, the Bible. It's opening up the Word of God. It's feeding upon it, studying it, understanding it. But that will only happen in the measure that we submit. Uh, you know, if you resist and resist and resist, it would be like me managing my three or four departments. And my boss said, John, you're going to, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. Well, in the realm, he'd probably fire me. Simple as that. But the Holy Spirit, there'll be no results in our spiritual life or growth. Uh, this is what Peter was talking about in this uh, first chapter here. He was talking about their personal growth in the life of Christ. Now, one of the things that I love doing is I love reading through the Gospels. I, I think there's nothing like it. And I've said this before, but I think it's worth saying again. That when you read through the Gospels, you become familiar with the actual life of the Lord here on earth. You get to know him in a human aspect. You know about him thirsting. You know about his temptations. You know, you know, he, he walked dirty roads. There was no taxes. <laughs> he wasn't on top of a horse. He probably walked from A to B and like he lived a human life and that's important for us to see that to to read about the miracles to read about uh, his teaching his sermons uh, because we need to get to be familiar with the one who called us and saved us that sounds sounds reasonable to me and again i go back again how do we become familiar with our lord jesus christ it's in this book in this i don't like to call it a book but it's it's in the word of god you won't find it anywhere else so that's where peter peter is and and you know he he uh, he talks about uh his faith about the faith now, the one thing I like about the way that Peter has approached this, and, and Paul as well in his writings, but Peter is not putting himself in that class above these, these believers. You know, if you look at the language, first of all, he calls himself a bondservant, a slave of Christ. And then he talks about himself being an apostle. But then he talks about the faith that brought him as a disciple to Jesus is the same faith that the believers of the dispersion had. There was no difference. How did we come to receive salvation? We came to Christ confessing our sins. How do we grow in grace in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Through the reading of the scripture. 
you know, uh, I'm a great one. I, I don't have a great imagination, but I love to think about what I read. Because if you don't think about what you read, it's not going to make any sense to you. That's how understanding comes. Comes by meditating upon the word daily and feeding on it. So the, because I want to talk about these believers and he talks about God has given to us exceedingly precious, great promises. Now, I only noted down, I only noted down six here, I think it was, I keep in my mind at the time. First of all, God loves us unconditionally. You think of a God who is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He loves us and he loves us unconditionally. I, then I asked myself a question, do I love him unconditionally? Do I surrender to him unconditionally? You know, when you receive statements in the scripture, you don't question what you're actually asking yourself the question. How do you measure up to what is being taught in the word of God? Then you have another one that says that uh, God has promised that we are never alone. Didn't Jesus promise his disciples he would not leave them orphans? But when he went, he would send the Holy Spirit. You know, it is human for us to feel times of loneliness. You know, and as a single guy, I, I get that time too. I, uh, and it's not a good thing to feel that way sometimes. But then I'm very quickly reminded that the Holy Spirit is my companion in life. The Holy Spirit indwells me. And his mission is to bring me and bring you at the end of the journey to our eternal home. That's his mission. His mission is to make sure that we stay in the right path, that we listen to that voice as he would speak to us, the voice of God from the word of God. And uh, so the Holy Spirit, he's our companion. He's our helper. He's the one who is our constant companion. I often use my heart like a house. You know, when we talk about the Holy Spirit indwelling us, you know, the ladies here love homes that are open concept. You hear everybody talk about open concept houses. What kind of house? It's an open concept house. Is your heart and my heart an open heart to, this, to the Holy Spirit, to God? Or do we compartmentalize God? Do we cut up into little pieces and say, well, God, you can go there to there, you can go here, you can go there. God wants our heart to be completely open to him uh, to receive uh, his guidance, his instruction, his love to accept that as we move on. Because we're not of this world. We could, we could all call ourselves aliens because that's what we are. We're just a bunch of aliens. We are only here 
pitching our tent for a while. Could be in Ottawa, we pitch our tent. It could be in Saskatoon. It could be in my hometown in Scotland. Wherever God puts you is where you're going to serve him. But you have to ask yourself that question. Uh, do I fully realize that the Holy Spirit is there to guide me and direct me? Then I made another little note here is uh, we've been redeemed and our eternal home is in heaven. These are promises and God's not going to go back in his promises. He's not a liar. God is not a liar. And uh, God formed you. I love this one. I think we should take time to read in Psalm 139, if you don't mind. This is a tremendous psalm. And just to show you, I might get some trouble with my eyes up here. Uh, but if we look at Psalm 139, reading from verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand uh, my thought afar off. You comprehend my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. This psalm is the psalm about God knowing you better than you'll ever know yourself. God knows you're lying down. He knows you're rising up. He knows every thought to go through your mind. You know, you know that story, eh? You can run, but you cannot hide. Well, I've got news for you. You think you might be able to run from God, but you'll never hide from him. You know, yes, we can hide things from our neighbors and from the people we work with. And maybe tonight I'm being quite practical here, but I believe that the word of God is practical. I believe that the word of God is food. It is food that we need to eat in uh, every single day of our lives and pray that we will hear God speak to us and that we will be fed from the word of God. But in this psalm, he even talks about, he knew me from my mother's womb when he formed me in my mother's womb. Like we're, we're dealing with a person here, God Almighty, that we cannot run away from. The world today is running away from God, but there is going to come a day of reckoning. But you know, we, we can sit and we can praise God and thank God that we have salvation in Christ. But you know, with that wonderful privilege, there comes a great responsibility as to how we are going about to share that wonderful blessing with others that are unsaved. So that's what the psalmist says there. And he's talking about uh, knowing. He's talking about knowing uh, uh, God knows you from right the time that you're in the mother's womb. And that's, uh, that's who we're dealing with. We're dealing with a God who is omniscient, that he knows everything, he's all-knowing. And uh, 
Then I made another look, you are who God says you are. Uh, this is to do with insecurities. You uh, encourages us to replace Satan's lies with the truth. Ephesians chapter six. What is one part of the what is one part of the the uniform the, that the soldier is to wear? He's to wear the belt of truth around his waist. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I can tell you from my own personal experience, and not in a big way, but I do know one thing that over the years as I have been reading and studying the word of God, without making a right, downright effort to change, what I mean by that is going out of my way to change. God is changing me. And the question is, is how much is God changing me? Have I stopped being changed by God? Because isn't that the purpose? That we are being transformed into the image of his dear son. So, you know, that's, that's a big, that's a big step to take. You know, God actually changes us through his word. Um, and the, these are things that when you think about it, you, you sit here tonight, I, as, as I sit at home and I come across a part in scripture, I just love asking myself that question. John, how is this passage of scripture affecting you? What do you see that? What is it saying to you? The word of God says a lot. It says a lot. God has a lot to say to you. But do we have the time to listen? That's a big thing, isn't it? And then when we listen to, we are we really hearing? You know, is it like, you know, that kind of thing over your head and away it goes? Uh, I can assure you that when God speaks, we ought to listen. Many years ago, I was, I was a very good friend of Jim and Irene Anderson's. And I was going through a very trying time in my life. Anyway, it was around 1976, I believe it would be 1977. And I really felt the Lord was calling me into full-time work. So I, I, I counseled with Jim Anderson on this and some others. The worst thing I ever did back then, because I knew that God was calling me to that, the worst thing I ever did was to say no. I said no. I mean, I didn't say no, Lord, but the gesture of my life just said no. Like, we have to learn that when God speaks, we listen and we follow. So these days, these believers, he was, uh, Peter was talking about in this epistle about them receiving special strength. You know, I think sometimes one of the reasons why, or maybe the reason why we, why we don't enjoy the manifold blessings of God is I kind of relate the picture in the Old Testament of, of Joshua who was a successor to Moses. And I remember that he heard from God that it wasn't that Canaan or the land of milk and honey wasn't Israel's. It was because God promised it to Abraham. 
So the land was theirs. But Joshua was instructed that you will only enjoy the benefits of that land in the measure that you go in and conquer. That's very important. God has placed many blessings, different blessings to one another. It could be different for some of you, from me, and from other believers. But, you know, God is saying, you know, it's like me saying to Phil there, Phil, I've got a million dollars for you sitting in Vancouver. But he lives here in Ottawa. So you'll get it, but you've got to go to Vancouver to get it. And guess what? You're not going to go by plane. You're not going to fly. You're not going to go by car. You're, you're not going to find any kind of form of transportation, except as we say in Scotland, Shanks' pony, your two legs. Ah, now we're in a different ball game here. That's what it is with Joshua. There will be difficulties ahead of him as he took this journey into Canaan and as he would conquer the land. He would come across many obstacles. In fact, you think about Jericho, a great defeat when the walls of Jericho fell because God was in it. The only way that we'll have victory is if God is in what we do. But ah, these these wonderful soldiers were all pumped up because they had won this battle. They forgot God. The next thing is they went to this little town of Ai. And what happened there? They were defeated by an army that wasn't even to be reckoned with. Just small, small army. So to enjoy blessing, God has to be in it. If God is not in building the house, that house is going to collapse. If God is not the foundation of our life, our life will collapse. And uh, what Peter was talking also here in this chapter is that what Peter was looking for, you know, it reminded me of the story of the vine in John 15, and then it reminded me of the fruit bearing of the Holy Spirit in Colossians, that this is what God looks for in us. And I have to close with that, time's running away. God looks for fruit. Now, it's, I don't believe in a way it's fruit for God so much as it's fruit for our testimony before men. Because before God, we stand perfect in Christ. We stand as if we've never sinned at all in Christ. But after that, we should be bearing fruit. In John 15 is bearing fruit, bearing much fruit, bearing more fruit, bearing abundant fruit. That is the evidence of a successful Christian life is to see that your life, my life, is changing. If, if we look back 
uh, say five years ago, and we look here today, and we wonder, in what ways have I changed? And you put the positive, negative, or you put the Christian way, the worldly way, and you look back and you say, boy, I, I haven't grown much. It's time, it's time to do a little bit of an inventory. And uh, I try to do that faithfully if I can every day, so that I look at myself. And I, I kind of look at myself in a way critically, because I realize that God has a purpose for each one of us. But God can only, that purpose will only be fulfilled in the measure that we allow him uh, to take control of our lives. And these, uh, these Christians that, that were of the dispersion, they were running away. They had probably settled in certain areas or were settling in certain areas. But they were trying to put their lives together because they were uprooted from where they lived. And, and uh, Peter is uh, trying to get the message across that, you know, now's the time to manifest fruit in your lives. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your work, and we thank you that we can gather around it freely without any hindrance and without fear of uh, retribution in any way. And we thank you for the manifold blessings that you have given us in your word. Help us uh, to avail ourselves of the opportunity of these blessings by faithfully and completely turning our lives over to you. May we be like the slave in the Old Testament. May it be that we will not want to ever go out free, that we will want to serve you, our true master, here in life. Here's for these uh, things and blesses, and as we go to prayer, Lord, that uh, indeed uh, there are many things to pray for. Uh, guide us in our thoughts uh, during that time. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.